There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Dirtest Podcast number 305. I have Vegas voice right now because uh, Skydart and I are in Las Vegas. I have a name. Claire Clyde 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 We're at CES uh, Although probably won't spend much time on the CES floor Because neither one of us want to get the nerd flu Because you always get sick when you go to CES You cannot go to CES and not walk away With some sort of uh, tropical flu or, uh, or a cold that uh, has Wi-Fi um, but, uh, what, don't fucking groan at me. You're wearing a spirit hood. You groaning, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like having a wild animal just look disappointed at me in the woods. Uh, but, um, we're here at CES and, um, we, uh, the Nerdist Channel won, uh, best channel at the IIW TV Awards, which was huge. Um, and, uh, we also, uh, went to the New Media Expo, which was really fun and, uh, it's been really, really cool so far. Vegas, you can really only take for a day or two. Vegas is a lot like, I think I compared it last night to a gas station bathroom where you go in and you hold your breath long enough to pee and then you try to pee before you let your breath out and get out of the bathroom so you can <sighs> exhale. That's kind of what Vegas feels like to me. So like one or two days here is okay, but any longer you start to want to pull your eyelashes out. But um, I would like to uh, thank Amazon for being the sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast. If you go to this podcast uh, page on the Nerdist.com website and just click through the Amazon banner and then shop as you normally would, you'll be supporting the Nerdist Podcast. Uh, also, I will be performing in Bloomington, Indiana coming up like in the next week and a half. Uh, the 17th through the 19th, I believe, of January. And then after that in Tacoma, Washington. And then at Sketchfest. So go to Nerdist.com slash calendar get information about that. This episode is our uh, longtime friend, Anthony Jeselnik, who has uh, a comedy special that is premiering this weekend, and also his TV series is premiering uh, pretty shortly after that. So if you go to Comedy Central's website, then you can uh, you can find out information about it. But i um, known Anthony a long time and, uh, and really watched the evolution of his comedy career, and he super... Uh, just kind of exploded after the uh, the Comedy Central roasts, and um, you know Anthony's a good guy, and and I and this is a really interesting episode because one of the big issues in comedy right now is what's offensive, what's not offensive, what's too soon, what's not too soon. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I've always, I usually have sort of a broad like be offended by everything or be offended by nothing philosophy, but 
I know it's more complicated than that, and it's not that black and white. But um, you know, I feel like this was a this was a, an interesting conversation because a lot of Anthony's comedy comes from you know trying to um, expose and find humor in taboo topics or things that people you know that people might normally find offensive. But just seeing he's, he's sort of undertaken himself to see if there's a challenge in finding what's if there is something cathartic and funny about about stuff that might normally offend people. So it's a really interesting time for comedy through that lens. And so I, I'm interested to hear what you think about it uh, from an intelligent standpoint. Um, no trolling. So you know when you go to the nurse website and this episode. Um, uh, we've had several conversations on the site about it, but if you haven't, chime in and let us know what you think. And you know, are, 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 is everything off limits? Does comedy get a pass for everything, or does it not? You know, should it be more respectful? How do you pick and choose what's offensive and what's not offensive? And can you broaden it beyond just what you think is offensive? You know, like because you could laugh at someone else's pain, but then be like, "Hey, that joke is about the region where I'm from, and I'm upset by that." You know, like so. I don't know. Let us know what you think on the website. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening. And here's Anthony Jeselnik, the Nurse Podcast, number 305. I like my description of Las Vegas better. It's like come covered Disneyland. <laughs> Disneyland? Disneyland! <laughs> now entering... Nerdist.com That's the shitty part is that we have to record onto these discs and then rip the discs. To put them on. Today. Rip it up! Rip the disc! Okay, now we're recording. Anthony Jeselnik has joined us in studio. We're going a new direction with the podcast. <laughs> yes. I really like classical uh, music radio. Who doesn't? It's just, it, there's a lot of weight to it, and everything's very. Somber. I always like to imagine those, like the DJs on classical music, were the guys who they used to be rock DJs, but just got so burned out, like something yeah. happened to them. <laughs> The man yeah. go to class at the end. Just like to, from like like Wolfman Jack style seventies jock uh, shock jock yeah. types. Yeah. And just like they take I it. I can't down. do it anymore. Yeah. You just heard Mozart. <laughs> Ow <laughs> Midnight Mozart yeah. Madness. Yeah. Beethoven. <laughs> Who wants an etude? Are we still recording? Okay, good, we are. All right. Anthony, uh it's long overdue that I, we've had you on the podcast, so my apologies for that. No, um, I'm, uh, it's been I'm too long. to be here now when I have something to promote. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done a podcast in a while, so it's... I was going to say, what was the last podcast you did? Actually, now, as soon as I said it, I realized I did Doug Loves Movies last week. But God damn it! <laughs> well, then that's that, it. has been a long time. I, I, you know, you do a bunch of them, and then you're like, all right, I've done the ones I want to do. And then it was always, I always want to do this one, and there's like two others I want to do, and then I think I'm... I think I'm done. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the Anthony Jeselnik uh, hello and farewell podcast tour yeah. that we're having. The um, When I shot my pilot for Comedy Central, my offices were across the hall from where your offices were. Now I'm in your office. Oh, you're in those offices now. the same office you used to have. But the, uh, there was a really funny uh, picture where it, it said, 
you know, hardwired this way. And then Anthony Jeselnik's show and pointed an arrow in the other direction. And some, I took a, I took a picture and tweeted it to Joan. I'm like, this is the hardest decision you've ever had. <laughs> Two friends that could give me work. Which one? Where do I go? Yeah. Where do I go? And the answer was neither. 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 Yeah, neither. He stayed neutral. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. Switzerland. I never took either job. And now I need money badly. <laughs> Not really. I'm doing really well. <laughs> Jonah Bing, Jonah Boom. Hey. What? Well, I, you know, I just don't like talking about it. <laughs> I'd rather just think about it while watching my large television set. <laughs> hey, um, I want to find Jonah's commercials online. Can you uh, Jonah Bing that for me? <laughs> are they going to start calling it Jonah Bing? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. That's how successful I am to them. <laughs> that they uh, yeah yeah I'm gonna see how much more disheveled I can get in the next one. <laughs> Are you doing more? Yeah. We were talking today about how Kyle Kinane is the voice of Comedy Central now. Yeah. Do you think he gets? I I assumed that they were like this is a promotional thing. It's good for you. And then someone was like, he makes a ton of money for that. I'm sure he does. Well, it's like every day. I mean, I'm sure they like they stack them, but like it's throughout the day. Oh, like coming up next yeah. is a new episode with this person. You know. Yeah. And so even when he's I, the new Pendulette. Yeah, exactly. Pendulette was the voice of Comedy Central for, for the longest time. Yeah, uh, the big, oh big my movie. god, Comedy Central. Yeah, big, yeah, Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> coming up next. And then even like I was watching it, I was watching that channel, and uh, like Kyle's like, uh, like coming up next is this thing, and then you could see me in Whiskey Icarus. <laughs> <laughs> he like was able to refer to himself. Mommy, oh, the wow. announcer's talking to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. This is, I gotta see this announcer stand up. <laughs> gonna be great. How many times you've seen like an announcer tank. and you've been like, "Oh, I oh, really got to yeah. I bet he's hilarious. <laughs> but seriously, Don Pardo kills. Don Pardo fucking destroys when he does stand up. When I first met Jimmy Pardo, I thought he was related to Don Pardo. This was a long time ago. They when I would I want to put it past him. Put it past him like it's something he's pulling over on everyone, not being related to. No, no, that he would lie about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure, change sure. his name to get ahead in the business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's uh, doing pretty great as an announcer guy uh, for SNL. <laughs> How have you managed to avoid doing a podcast of your own? Uh, well, you have a TV show. Just the idea of having like the idea of having to book something and having to be in the same place once a week, and I didn't just never had like a hook that I wanted to do. You know, I I like I like podcasts like this. I love Marin's. You know, Pete Holmes. Sure, who's sure. Just like, Talk to comics, and you don't have to be funny. You can just kind of talk and be as pretentious as you want to get. But that's like what <laughs> well, I would want to do. Pre- <laughs> yeah. Prerequisite with a podcast. Yeah, that's like what I would want to do, and not, you know, people have like their little themes and stuff they do that nothing's really grabbed me. Yeah, uh, it's definitely been pitched to me. That, you, know, you got to do a podcast. I'm like, I've got a TV show. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a podcast, yeah, but you can see it, and then a lot more of you can see it. Yeah. If yeah. it's a television. It makes sense. Yeah. People are like, oh, it helps on the road. It does this. It does that. I mean, you know what else helps on the road? Doing a roast. <laughs> so, Well, <laughs> that helps you on the road. Like the roasts help the handful of people who can. If, like, if you can crush in the roasts, that's tremendously helpful. And I, I loved, uh, I think right before you did your first roast, I happened to be in New York and I saw you workshop those jokes at, um, not oh. Crash Test. What, are the, what is yeah, this? Uh, whiplash. Whiplash. Yeah. And it fucking destroyed. And I was like, God damn it. That's yeah, good. I, I, I was just, so I was here, I was there. I, I'm like, I was watching it like, his fucking life is going to change tomorrow. Like, it, just in the sense of 
you know, it's so hard for comics now to get like that's why podcasts happened was just comics getting their voice into the world as much as possible. There's not a lot of stand up on TV anymore. Yeah. And so this this way that we have to survive now is doing roast, doing podcast, just anything to let people know or about so they'll come see anything us. Anything that's not stand up that you can get out there to make people come <laughs> see your stand up is huge. But you're right about the roast thing. It's not it's not like a guaranteed step up like I remember when I would go back and watch I thought it was the same way I thought that like premium blend like if I yeah. had a on premium blend I was like oh they made it yeah and then before I went to do it I like looked back through all the people who had done premium blend I'm like I've never heard of any of these yeah. people <laughs> like the roast like you watch old ones and it's like Reno Collier and I'm like who the hell like, right I've never right. heard of him again since that that it wasn't I knew I had my work cut out for me yeah you know, it wasn't just like a gimme yeah, yeah. it was uh, a handful of people and, and, and the roast environment is I hope people understand that it's not it, it is kind of a weird set like when you're shooting those shows there's a ton, and I've never done I'm afraid to do them actually I don't think I would do well but I but I but when it works it's great well, I'm sure you wouldn't do well <laughs> but uh, it is it, I got it, jazzlenicked it's a it's a very strange work environment I'll say that especially compared to the between the comics and the celebrities they everyone's got a different agenda of what they're doing and it's it they they do not jive with each other so it's it's a weird it's a weird place to be doing doing jokes. Yeah, because uh, it's this it's weird because the whole concept of the roast is that you're supposed to be mean, but then there's that one weird cliff that if you just misstep and it's just like oh yeah I don't oh yeah. shit. Well, plus the person. I mean, even, the, even if you're really if it's a really funny joke, even if it works that perfect line, when you're saying it to the person when they're sitting there, they're terrified. So that tension, like. I, when you, when you deliver a joke, I remember asking Whitney Cummings this. I was like, would well, you look at the people? She's like, never. You look at them when you start the joke. I'll be like, Seth MacFarlane, you're... And then when you finish the joke, you look anywhere else but yeah. at that person. That's so funny. It's like it, it's like the, the murderer who's like, okay, don't make me look at you. Exactly. I don't want to... Because I don't want to sense that you're a human being. Like, right now, I need you to be a one-dimensional character exactly. that I can... Get in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I can take shots at. Did you have any... Uh, what? Uh, were you the one with the situation was yes. at... Yeah, I went on after the situation. <laughs> Is it better to Clean follow him or go before him? Uh, I mean, it turned out being better going after him, you know. But at the time, because on TV it looks it looks way better than it actually was. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was almost a riot. Like it was really bad. And at first, I'm kind of like, oh, this is weird. And then I realized like this could happen to me too. You know what I mean? And I've got to follow this if the crowd doesn't get it together. And they're all so drunk. Comedy Central gives up every table pictures of beer and wine. Pictures yeah. of wine. And yeah. there's also like a free drink time before the show even starts. Yeah, people are so drunk that they were, it, was, they, it took them 10 minutes to stop the show and get everybody to calm down. You mean the audience before, or, yeah, or the, the oh. audience? Yeah, yeah, before I could walk up there. And then I'm like, this better go really well really quickly or it could be a disaster. But as soon as they realized, oh, he's just doing set up punch yeah. and not rambling on about, about mansions and stuff, <laughs> they, were, they were very on board. I would think it would be better to go after him because even if you... Even if you only have like a modicum of stand-up experience, the audience is going to be like, "Oh, thank God!" You know. So yeah. if you actually go in with good jokes, I would think yeah. that the audience would be so on your side for that to happen. Totally. But now it's almost backfired on me. The Comedy Central on the roast—they always put me after whoever they think is going to do the worst. <laughs> like I'm like, <laughs> to Can save I go it first, you know, or something. And they're like, "No, no, no. We need to put you on after Mike Tyson because we're not sure how that's going to go." I right. So I got to sit there and wait. To see what kind of puddle I got to clean up. What was the? What was? <laughs> how did? Uh, w w was the situation? Did he have any awareness of what was going on, or was it? To his credit, I mean, he did not run off the stage. Yeah. Because that's what I would have. I mean, if, if the crowd turned on me that hard, you would just walk away. I think that wherever he goes, he gets booed. 
Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, they're, they're doing a hot dog eating contest. We want you to show up. And everyone boos him. And then he walks off stage and gets a $10,000 check. Yeah. yeah. So he sat there and kind of did his thing and was telling us jokes. And he, to his credit, he got in like the day before. He was the last guy booked. And at that point, all the good jokes have been given to other people. Like yeah. all the writers write for him. They had to explain how to say these jokes. Ugh. He wore sunglasses because Snoop wore sunglasses. Sure. Snoop can wear sunglasses. Yes. You know? <laughs> and the crowd was ready to hate him immediately. Uh, so it was it, it was bad. But I remember I'll never forget him walking off the, away from the podium towards all of us, you know, sitting there on the dais, and we're, no one can look at him. We're all like, "What do we say? This is gonna be, we got to sit with him for the next hour." And he walks up in front of everybody and just stands there and gives us both two thumbs up and goes, "That was good, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget Lisa Lampanelli being like, "That was amazing. You were great. Sit down. Sit down." It was, he had no idea. Yeah, those none of those people have any awareness. That's why they're those people. Exactly. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to, to like take shots at them and be like, "Ah, they're just, uh, they're dumb. They don't know." And then. And then, I don't know, in the past couple years, I've just gotten so much more empathetic to people and just like everyone's just a people and everyone's trying to, you know, like they didn't do anything wrong by taking that job. Like someone said, hey, you want to be on TV? And I mean, yeah, of course, they kind of have that douchey energy that I would never hang around. But I don't know, like, but watching someone die a comedy death, I'm always going to feel like, oh, man, I am so sorry. I just don't because you just you know. You know that that is our worst. Yeah. Yeah. The worst I've ever felt, uh, Jeff Ross just showed this to me. There was a clip from the, uh, it's online, you can see it on YouTube, a clip from the Emmett Smith roast they did years ago on pay-per-view. Yeah. And there was a guy, I forget his name, he's a black comic, and uh, Jamie Foxx introduces him. Oh, I've seen that. And he starts bombing really hard, and Jamie Foxx heckles him literally off the stage. Yeah. And it, he's trying to do anything he can to keep going with his material. It's a big break for him. Oh. And it is... Like w- watching it, I you you can't help but empathize with him. Yeah, well, but but it's, at, it's the funniest I'd seen Jamie Foxx in a long time. But I'll tell you yeah. something. I uh, I went to uh, I went to some party that um, uh, Jamie Foxx was at the party, and Sarah Silverman was at the party. And Sarah, I don't know Jamie Foxx. I've never met him, but Sarah said that um, she had never met Jamie Foxx, but she went over to him, and obviously he knew she, who she was, and they talked for a minute. She was like, "I've always wanted to ask you about that roast," and he was like. He goes, I, people think that I was an asshole to that guy, but here's what you have to understand. They had all of the roasters backstage before, and Jamie Foxx was like, listen, this is going to be a tough crowd. You guys, you need to go out there. You need to focus. You need to bring your A material. Like, don't fuck around. And he said that guy was kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, he, he sort of, like, Just shrugged him off it, before, yeah. like, really cocky. And so when he went out there and didn't do what he had was sort of warned, you know, yeah. like, that he should do, then I think Jamie Foxx just sort of felt like, well, fu- I fucking told you, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so that was kind of the, so he, I think Jamie Foxx, even though everyone thinks Jamie Foxx is hilarious, I think he felt bad for looking like he threw the guy to the bus, but the backstage stuff was yeah. like, I fucking told you not to do what you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, plus Ross told me right before that, they cut it out of the actual thing that was pay-per-view, but there was some guy from the Cowboys came up to give a speech, and he wanted to be a sportscaster. So he had this long speech about how great the Cowboys are and everything. Went on way too long. The crowd totally turned against him. It wasn't it, no jokes at all. <laughs> and Jimmy Fox made fun of him, got up and like laughed about it, made fun of him. And as the guy's walking off stage, he takes his stool and he throws it at Jimmy Fox. Oh. Like on stage. So the tension was crazy. Like it was no one was in their right mind on that day. That's oh, how yeah. I want the Comedy Central roast to be. I want to see <laughs> stools being thrown and a guy being heckled off. It, I, it will happen. The way they're going, it will. You think so? It will happen. Oh my Weren't God. they going to try and class it up? 
They tried, and they realized this isn't going to happen. Yeah. The Roseanne roast, they were like, please, some classier stuff. And I just said no. I was yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not going to go out like half-assed, because no one knows they're trying to make it classy. You know, if you bomb, <laughs> it's you bombing up there. Yeah, exactly. Like, before yeah. I read these jokes, I just want everyone to know that we're trying to class it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't even going to wear a tie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even those old ones, the old like Dean Martin roast, they weren't classy. They were just wearing suits. Yeah. They were just as surly and fucking raw. But as I think they a lot of those roasts too, like uh, those those roasts were, um, from what I understand, they were staged a lot more than anyone act- than than the general public would know. And yeah. then I, I had heard that a lot of the roasts were shot to an empty room. Oh yeah. really? Yeah, that it, they it was just all like they just did close ups and they basically just it like that you know we all bought into the idea of like it's all these friends in Vegas having a big crazy show in front of people and it was yeah. actually just a produced television segment oh, yeah. and a lot of it they'd be like here tell this bad joke so that dean can have this line to make yeah. fun of you you know what i mean it was a lot of it was like teamwork it was yeah. like a team putting on a show and, as opposed to yeah every man for himself and then the ones where you would actually see an audience like with the like they like they'd point out a celebrity they already have the guy lit and on camera to like <laughs> cut to the what no oh, you know yeah. yeah, they don't. They don't. Uh, you know, like ten years ago, I saw the late night commercial for the, the celebrity roast. I'm like, oh my god, the, that was one of those things where you remember it as being the funniest thing that you had ever seen. Yeah, and then you watch them and you're like, what happened? What? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> this is the episode I remember. Yeah, every, these guys and, are all just jerking each other off. Why am I watching this? Not, not, no, not jerking each other off. Not even just that, but the, a lot of the jokes. I mean, Rickles was funny, but a lot of the jokes. Um, were super racist. A lot of like, uh, Red Fox is here. Someone's got to clean up after we're done. Like literally, like that. And you're yeah. like, what the fuck? I don't remember this at all. It's yeah. a simpler, more beautiful time, Chris. No, no Jonah. <laughs> what? What? No, no, that's not good. They were the greatest generation. <laughs> 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 Except no one would roast Frank Sinatra. Yeah, there was it was a lot of like his, Rickles. Rickles wouldn't go after. Well, Rickles went after him, but everyone else, it was a lot of like. Uh, Frank sure fucks a lot of girls, you know, like yeah. they were they were compliment roasting him. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah. that story that Rickles has about like uh, he he like takes these girls out to a restaurant and like he notices that Frank's there too. He's like, hey, Frank, do you, you would you mind like coming by the table to like say hi to make me look like really awesome in front of these girls? And he's like, he's like, ah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Don. And like he's like, no, please, just real quick. Just do me this favor. I really like, you know, I want to I want to impress these girls. Please just come by. And he's like, okay. So like, you know, he's like, well, wait like 20 minutes and then come by. So they're, uh, um, Rickles is having dinner with these girls. And then uh, Frank comes by. And he's like, hey, Don, how's it going? He's like, Frank, are you, are you kidding me? Get out of here. I'm with these girls. <laughs> Quit bugging me. That's funny. I've never heard the oldest story in show business. Thanks <laughs> for recapping it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Someone just out Jonah Ray, Jonah Ray. No, no, no. Fuck you. <laughs> well worth the wait. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking dick. <laughs> this show is a new Matt Myra. For His three name hours is Jonah Ray. Day. Some guy who fucking commented is like, yeah, we, we get it. You're, you're from Hawaii. And I was like, you fucking record four or five hours of conversation a week. See how many times you repeat something from your stupid <laughs> life. Jonah comes unhinged. <laughs> and another thing. Oh, no, fuck. Like, uh... <laughs> I'm checked out for most of these things. It's the autopilot. <laughs> well, autopilot you, want, you think I wanted to drive all the way across town so I could talk to my friend that I see all the time for like an hour? Both of us. Yes. <laughs> Two guys. That you know. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
looking visibly uncomfortable. It was a, it was a <laughs> shitty drive. <laughs> I had no coffee today. What? Oh. You had, to, you had to drive all the way over here and you haven't had coffee? No one has worse problems than you, Jonah Ray. You're Chris. But I've, I've seen you scream at a person for not getting your chai latte right. That's not true. I screamed at a person because they ran out of a, uh, a croissant <laughs> that had ham and cheese baked inside. <laughs> That's a big difference. That's different. I came all the way from Los Angeles for this. Yeah. 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 I, what's the problem? <laughs> the, Ken's Artisan Bakery uh. in Portland has the best fucking... Baked ham and cheese croissant things. Croissant. Croissant. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't yell. I was just terse. <laughs> this would be a great time to promote a new special. Uh, January 13th on Comedy Central, <laughs> Sunday night against the Golden Globes. Uh, oh, fuck. Good counter-programming. <sighs> I guess. I was furious. Why would they put it on a Sunday? They oh, usually they, put on... Sometimes they do Sundays. They do Sunday. I think Sunday's better than Saturday. I guess that's true because uh, people are home. But I did it like six months ago and like we're going to hold it for the perfect time. And then I found out like two weeks ago it was during the Golden Globes. I was like, what? The fourth highest rated television show of the year? But That's a bummer. Yeah. They're, they, they're, they're counter-programming. I, yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like the people who like you probably won't watch the Golden... I mean, like, are you the, you're not the same audience as the Golden Globes. No, I wish it wasn't Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. That would be something that I would want to watch. Oh, yeah, that's know. a problem. And so many comedians live-tweet the Golden Globes. That kind of stuff that uh, that I was certainly annoyed, and I let people know that was my that was my ham and cheese croissant moment. <laughs> Thing is, there's no other real like show. All the shows are kind of done for the season, so that's the only other option. Yeah, like as the Golden Globes, and people could easily watch the Golden Globes and then just DVR yours and watch it right after. DVR, it's so weird to me. I'm just noticing now that DVR isn't like as good, isn't nearly as good. It almost doesn't count if people DVR as opposed to watch it because they're not. Looking at the advertising, with yeah, the they, they, oh, yeah. they're having they have difficulty um, they have difficulty translating those numbers to advertisers. They're like, oh, a bunch of people watch this while skipping through your ads. Like exactly. they, they yeah. don't like to. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're trying to create some sort of a metric that figures that in, but it's hard because it you know to the advertisers they just feel like, well, they didn't see yeah any of our spots. Yeah, and Comedy Central is weird too. Where they'll, if you you get big ratings, your first airing, they they air it forever. If you don't do that well, your first airing, then they just like shut it down. They're like, oh, we made a mistake, kind of thing. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you don't know what you're up against. Uh, You don't know what your, you know, what reason you could possibly have for not having high ratings. But it's a weird, it's a weird position to be in. When does your show premiere? February nineteenth. Okay, so special in January, and then the show in in February. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, I, I. what will end up happening is because it's not even one airing anymore. No, and it, and they'll especially if you have a series to promote, they'll air your special more and they'll air it around your show. And I, I yeah. think I think you, I think it'd be fine. Yeah, I'm not I'm not. I was mad at the time, but I've, I've <laughs> you've gotten over it. I've become. I'm still so mad about mad. the ham and cheese croissant. <laughs> I'm going back to Portland. I fucking hope they have it. They better have it. They fucking better have it. They're gonna be some angry tweets. They're gonna get such a tweeting. <laughs> the first time that you have that feeling when you're like, "Well, I'm just gonna tweet this," and you're like, "What am I saying?" Like it's yeah. a, it's a bad feeling. Yeah, it's a really bad feeling. Anthony, you only really tweet when uh, someone dies. Someone dies or a tragedy. Yeah, I had to hold off on this last one. I was I was yeah. Ticked. I was. Onion was killing it. Onion's great. Onion can get away with anything. Yeah. I think it's the aesthetics of it. It's the way it looks. Like they don't. Yeah. It's not really like a hard joke. And it always it always seems way more compassionate in some odd way. Yeah. Well, it is compassionate because it's ultimately it's like the one that the first time they came back after nine eleven, it was you know something to the effect of 
America ju- just wants to get back to you know having shitty problems again or, or yeah. something like that. Well, the first I remember the first like the day after it was like holy fucking shit, and it was just like a picture of the towers was just that was the whole headline. Yeah, was holy fucking shit that like you can get behind that you know. But as if you do like a one liner, it's got to be perfect. Like I I wake up in the morning sometimes and I have like a hundred tweets people saying what are you gonna say and I'm like. What happened? Who died? Uh, you know? Oh no! But, and so I have to like decide right then and there if I'm going to do something. It's got to be good enough. Well, stage. how do you? Because yeah. there's there's definitely um, there's definitely a vibe in comedy now where uh, I think a lot of comics are afraid to go certain places about things because something will get taken out of context and put online, and then all of a sudden people will get mad about it, and then you have to sure. defend yourself. Like, do you? You you probably don't give a shit about that do you because you just sort of feel like it's comedy and this is what i do yeah and, I and that's really... kind of that was like my that was my thesis you know when i when i started i was like if i could just keep if i become that guy who does this you can never really get in trouble no because it's like south park because yes it's like well you that's what the show is and they're and weirdly um it's 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 weirdly uh equitable in the sense that they just make fun of everyone everyone like, yeah. so there's no real ist behind it they're not racist or culturist or elitist it's like they just take everyone out equally exactly exactly and i feel like i've gotten to that point where i can kind of get away with that for the most part uh which is a pretty good place to be and also i i don't i don't understand i feel like comedy is like that's the purpose of comedy so when someone's like i'm a like oh the the rape joke thing with tosh happened people are like i don't want to comment on it or i think i think tosh shouldn't have said that i was like you're not really a comedian if you can't back him 100% yeah. for, for making a joke like that, then, then it, I lost respect for a few friends really? who, who went against Tosh on that. It, just, it seemed like you're going against comedy. It's weird, too. And he was, uh, wasn't he kind of, he was riffing yeah. at the time? Like he was, it was still just like him trying to get into an idea, and he mentioned it, and then someone got offended. Yeah, I did an interview about it the other day, and this girl was like, well, what, what, do, you, do you think it's okay for him to say, oh, I hope you get raped right now by five guys? And I'm like, that's not what he said. Yeah, you know that's not that's besides the point. Like that, of course, that's not okay. It depends on you know the context of anything. You can't say, "Oh, this is never okay to talk about." Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, I think that's the slippery slope is that when things take on a life of their own because they get pulled out of context, and then someone says, "Oh, you think it's okay to say this?" Just like you said, you go, "Well, number one, I didn't say that, and number two, um, you weren't there and you didn't see what happened, yeah. and yet you're you're trying to critique it in some way." It's like I think. You know, however you feel about what he said or how it happened, like the point is, there's so much judgment in our culture where people have not actually experienced the thing that they're judging. Yeah. And I think that's where it gets really dangerous because, again, you know, like we're culturally addicted to outrage. Yeah. And you don't, you never know when it's going to blow up. You know, like Amy Schumer had it when she did the the roast and made a joke about Steve-O. That kind of, and it was like during the roast, no one thought that was a particularly bad joke about Ryan Dunn, who had died. No one thought it was like, no one was like, ooh, it was just like, it was a roast joke. Yeah. They aired it, no one thought anything weird, and all of a sudden you just start to see all this outrage with Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried uh, sat down with Amy and talked to her about it afterwards. He was like, you never know when they're going to turn on you. You know, if it, those tsunami tweets were nothing. They were yeah. nothing, and, and he got, he ruined, almost ruined his career, or definitely took him off the tracks for a couple years. Yeah. He had to go on a book tour right when that happened, and every place he went, he had to read this book. There were like three people there. And they were all there to yell at him about the tsunami. But I think that's sort of the, I think, you know, I mean, maybe, but particularly in Gilbert's case, though, I just feel like, well, you know, that's the risk you take when you go after stuff like that. Like, because he did that, he did that at that one roast right after Mm 9-11, like right after 9-11. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, 
yeah, you never know when people are going to turn on you, but it's also like, well, don't go into a bad neighborhood right away, and then maybe you, it's not, I, mean, I don't know, I guess it just depends on... Sure, I mean, it's just, it's weird to see what, what's going to end up, you know, trending on Twitter. You never really know. And I always think of, like, Nick DiPaolo, I remember after the, uh, the Haiti, the uh, earthquake in Haiti, one on stage was making jokes about it right, like, the day of, <laughs> and people were, got mad at him, he screams at him, he goes, what are you mad about? In three weeks, you'll be laughing at these jokes, and those people will be just as dead as they yeah. are right now. And I was like, yeah, that kind of that kind of makes sense. And no matter how bad something blows up, it, six months later, no one cares. No one still thinks about Tracy Morgan as the guy who made you know, a homophobic <laughs> rant at that show. Yeah. You know? It's just it's important for people to just kind of realize it is, that there are, they are jokes. And like, uh, like there's really no need to get upset. It's like, you know, like, who need, why do you need the time? Sure. People want an apology. It makes it about them. But I think there's some comics who, if you're up there and you're talking about, you're making jokes about, like, the neighborhood you grew up in, or you're talk, making fun of Starbucks, and all of a sudden you're like, and rape's okay, that's when people <laughs> get outraged because you're trying to be their friend on stage. I'm never trying to be your friend. Yeah. I, I could not care less about my audience. That I'm just up there strictly to satisfy myself, that I think people get that. I just, uh, I don't... Um... What, you know, when I when I was a younger comic, I used to like the, you know, the shock and offensive, like I'm going to do, you know, and then I, I, I just I'm too much. And, you know, maybe I'm a pussy or I don't know what it, or maybe and it's not that I'm a pussy. I'm just I'm super empathetic of people. And so if I, I like I never want people to feel bad. And so I stopped. I just stopped doing all of that because I just I don't know. I just felt like, well. I don't feel good about it and they don't feel good about it. And I just like if someone tweets at me and says uh, or they write to me and they go, hey, it really bummed me out that you did this. It's very hard for me to be like, well, fuck you. You know, I'm always like, shit, I'm sorry. You know, it's like I just don't want it. it but I still think that you can do material that's challenging. It's just super personal as opposed to like what you said versus, you know, just going up and making jokes about some unrelated thing just to try to be funny. Sure. And I think that's that's totally OK. Like, you know, if you. I think Stephen Colbert once said that when you're younger, you start out and you're very edgy because you want to be edgy. And then the things you're joking about starts to happen to people that you love and the people that you know. Yeah. People start to die from cancer or have these horrible things happen that they're not, that's not funny to you anymore. And I totally understand that. Or if your personal choice is, I just don't want to upset someone. I don't want to see an angry face in the audience. That doesn't make you a, a worse comic or change, you know, uh, or change anything about it. You're still a comedian. It's just like you're bringing yourself to it. You know, whereas I have almost no conscience whatsoever, <laughs> whatsoever that I. But that's but that's stage. but that's that's yeah. who you are. Like that's who your that's who you portray on stage, and 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 so that's that part of it works for you because it's organic and it's not like there's a different. You can tell, and it's not just about the kind of material you do, but just you can tell when someone's doing material that's not who they are, and they're trying to affect a persona, and I think. The audience can understand, like, ah, there's a disconnect. But if it really is an organic piece of who you are and it it, it seems natural and it's your character, then they it connects more and people people understand it. Yeah. It just clicks with them. Like, oh I know what you are and I can I can kind of I can get on board. I feel bad because we have we have this conversation a lot. We've had this conversation a lot on the podcast where I you know, my general thing about comedy is like, look, the core of um the core of almost all comedy is offensive to someone because comedy is really about trying to deal with horrible things and, and, and gaining power over those things by trying to ridicule or laugh in the face of those horrible things. And so 
you know, when people go, well, how could you talk about this one thing? It's like, well, but you you laughed at the other thing, which would have been offensive to someone else. So exactly. my general my what I try to say to people is like, look, when it comes to comedy and I don't think comedy is for everyone. No. But when it comes to comedy, I say you kind of got to have this be offended by everything or nothing sort of thing, because it's not fair to pick and choose what's OK to be offended by, you yeah. know. But no one knows that comedy is not for them. Everyone thinks they have a great sense of humor. Most people do not. But everyone <laughs> enjoys laughing. Of course. It's like if, it would be like if you, if you were a big music fan and you would just spend all day, you, would, you loved classical music, so you would spend all day writing angry letters to heavy metal bands. Yeah. It would be insane to do that. Yeah. But people don't care about it in music that way. But in comedy, if, it's never like, I don't think you're funny. It's always, you are not funny. Here's, <laughs> right. here's why. I'm going to tell you why. Right. This thing you've dedicated your life and your career to. I'm, me, just some random-ass gas station attendant, is going to tell you why that's not funny. And uh, you get it constantly. Mm. And it's like, oh, so, so we just have difference of opinion on how, no, no one's doing how, how comedy works. But I just don't think that, um, yeah, I, I wish just people, I, I think it has a lot to do if someone feels like you're attacking something, because it's like what Mel Brooks said about, well, comedy is protest. And so yeah. you're trying to take something down and the audience kind of has this barometer of like, does that thing he's taking down deserve to be taken down? Yeah. Where's the balance of power? And so I think in some cases they sort of feel like, oh, well, you're kicking something that's already down. So why would you? That's not. That's wrong. That's injustice. Like there's like a weird justice thing. Yeah. Or like I think every joke has a victim, and if you relate more to the victim than you do to the person telling the joke, then you're not gonna like that joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I still, you know, and 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 it's it's impossible to defend when someone says, "So you think it's funny to make fun of, you know, like a." A baby who drowned. I'm like, no, I don't. It's not that. Yeah, that's not funny. <laughs> you don't go up on stage and say, th talk about things that are funny. You talk about things that aren't funny and make them funny. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's wordplay. Yeah. At the end of the... Which is why I like Bill Burr so much. It's because a lot of the stuff he'll bring up, I don't, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with. But then what he does is he kind of convinces you with jokes and humor. He's yeah. a great comic. Like, like, oh, you're fucking comic. right. You're yeah. completely right. He's a great... He's the, he's one of the best comics that way because Bill can take you to places and and then pull you back. Yeah. And like, he really, he really fucking shakes yeah. the audience up. But I, you do that, too. I mean, like, you... You, you, you're, I'm sure a lot of people laugh at stuff that you say and they kind of go, I shouldn't be laughing at this and I can't help it. Oh, it's the best laugh. It's the best yeah. laugh. I was like, Louis, when Louis C.K., he had a joke where he, like, he hates, he's mad at some woman in line. So he, like, he's like, So I've raped your kid. Like, the kid's crying. He's like, I raped the kid. And people are like, Ooh. And he goes, Fuck you. It's fucking make believe. I made yeah. that kid up. I'll fuck an invisible kid right here on stage. And everyone's like, Oh, yeah, you're right. And yeah. they, can, they can move on with everything. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. Not real. Yeah, like I think it's meaner when some, a comedian goes on stage, and like when Kathy Griffin goes up and makes fun of what Mariah Carey wore to an award show, is meaner than anything I do. Everything, every joke I say, even though it's these horrible topics, they're all made up. They're all people who don't exist. But to make fun of someone who actually is like a person, I think is is, is meaner. But no one sees it that way. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point of view. I never thought of that before. I guess that is true. I've I've come to just you know like when I first started do I, I think I'm just kind of weirdly insecure and I don't like it when people are mad at me I can't take it I just want everyone to be happy um which maybe is a flaw but I uh you know when I first started doing Chelsea's show 
I would, you know, I'd go on and I'd make fun of people, celebrities that I didn't know, and I would leave feeling really bad. And I asked Whitney Cummings about it, and she gave me the best piece of advice in the world, which was she was like, look, if you don't want to go after people, take the topic and then just make it about yourself. Well, that's like how this one time when I did this and this, and then I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It was a brilliant way to do it, and it it sort of helps you address things that are going on without feeling like you're attacking other things or just just kind of kind of going in. I do that a lot on the roast if I don't really want to make fun of someone, I just make like an edgy joke that's not at all about them. You know, like uh like uh my joke about oh, who's the woman from Sons of Anarchy Married with Children. Katie oh, Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal. I was like I don't want to make fun of her. You know, and everyone's doing this like you're old now jokes or whatever and I just made it like a, took took her and made a joke about like Basically, John Ritter is dead. Like, that was the punchline, pretty much. But it had nothing to do with her. But it's still a hard joke, you know, which is which is a fun way to go about it. Because I don't want to, you don't want to make fun of some, you know, 50, 60 year old woman. You know, it's just a weird, it's a weird yeah. thing. So you've got to find a way to make a hard joke without making fun of them at all. Where did you? What was your comedy development like? You because there, for the longest time, there were not, like in the late nineties. There weren't as many like quick turn like two line joke comics, mm-hmm. and then um, you early, know we've early two thousands early two thousands like there there was a handful of like uh, no, B J Novak and Morgan yeah. and um, Dan Mintz. And, and and Mintz and then uh, and so yeah. there, there was there seemed to be this and and well I think a lot of it well it was Zach yeah uh, but Zach hadn't broken Zach like, had, everyone knew who Zach was in comedy but no, other than that not really so what you know did you ever experiment with another style like like uh, any other style of oh yeah when I started I took a class to start I, I originally just wanted to be a joke writer I wanted to write for basically the job I ended up getting which was uh, late night with Jimmy Fallon I wanted to be on a, a late night show and just write monologue jokes all day laughing at a table with with other people and I didn't realize how little you laugh when you're writing jokes <laughs> at a table with other people. when there's a tremendous <laughs> amount of pressure to yeah. have to come up with like 20 jokes a night exactly and you felt that way for a while too like you wanted to be a writer i mean even years in you would still bring it up yeah i just thought i didn't think i like i didn't think i didn't think being a comedian was like a realistic thing you could be you know but a joke writer sounded like something oh i could do that and so someone was like oh get into stand-up that'll help you so i took a class and they were like just talk about yourself you know just talk about yourself so i had a couple stories i would get up on stage and tell and i hated it i was really bored i thought i was boring i thought it was really self-indulgent to talk about myself and then I, I saw B.J. Novak one night at, a, uh, at an open mic and was doing one-liners. And I was like, oh, like I always loved Stephen Wright. I loved Mitch Hedberg. You know, and I found out about him much later on. But then I was like, oh, I kind of tore everything down. And I was like, I'm going to start from scratch and find out what I would really love to do. And I thought, what's the funniest thing in the world to me? What made me laugh the hardest? And for me, it was Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy yeah. on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Those were the most amazing things to me because it was so funny. And it was also this, how did he think of it? So I just bought all the books. There's like five of them. Yeah, those are good books. And I would go to open mics a couple hours early, and I would read through them, and I would write my own versions of that. So I would, And it was fun for me because instead of having to think back into my life and be like, what story could I tell or what adventure can I get into? You know, I didn't want to complain about my girlfriend or something. That I thought oh, if I could just write jokes, I could write a million jokes. Yeah. And then just the best, take the best ones. I thought, like, what if you were just like a total home run hitter and every joke was just just crushed? What would that be like? Let me try to do that. And so I just wrote jokes. And then one night after maybe six months of doing that, of being a one-liner guy, and they were all kind of absurd, I told one that was really mean, that had a mean twist. And the crowd kind of went, oh, and then laughed, like harder than I've ever heard a laugh before, and I thought, that's it. That's my <laughs> thing. I was so lucky to find that less than two years in, and then I just kind of, I, I felt like I was a train on the tracks, just keep moving forward, keep shoveling coal in there, and, and you're good. Oh, well, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, 
I think very few people think to ask those kinds of questions when they start out because uh, they're very important questions because most people just start doing comedy and they don't even think like, well, what do I want to do? Well, I guess I just want to be funny. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think it's like saying, well, I want to um, uh, I want to be a house decorator, uh, but I don't have a house. And I just need there to be a house. It's like you have to figure out what your structure is. So having deep thoughts, as even as a structure, is a good place to start from. Because most people don't even find their structure for years. They just have to figure it out over time. Yeah. And I think everybody, almost everybody, pretty much takes their favorite comic and they and they you know kind of copy them for at least a year. You have, you've got that grace yeah. period. Like I, I watched, I recently watched my first ever stand up uh, that I ever did at the comedy store. And I, at the time, I thought it was great. And I went back and watched it. And I was like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> and I can't believe the heavy, heavy Dennis Leary influence <laughs> that, was, that was on me at that time. So ultimately, the Bill Hicks influence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, you're still wearing the leather jackets. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember I used to I used to bring I used to open mics in L.A. and I would bring I had like a leather blazer. That I would bring, and it would be hot out, so I would carry it with me. And right before I went on stage, I would throw on the leather blazer and go up and do my act. <laughs> oh, wow. That's what you did. I thought that's how you do comedy. And then someone mentioned it to me one time. I was like, oh, yeah, that is not cool. Yeah, I, I, I remember the first time I went to the comedy store, and I was like in the back hallway by the bathrooms in the kitchen, and I was just like, every, every comic in here is wearing a black leather jacket. And yeah. I felt like, I was like, I don't feel good here. Yeah. It felt like a bunch of fucking like jocks hanging out, and I was—I yeah. didn't feel like I fit in. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I think the thing that helped me was that I picked Jack Handy as my—the guy I was ripping off. That no one really. Some people, if you watch a lot of SNL, you'd be like, "Oh, you're like deep thoughts by Jack Handy." But most people, it wasn't like people who like uh, the um, totally misfortunate people who tried to do a Hedberg up there. You right. Know, that yeah. Never. You know exactly what's happening, and no one's ever. Well, yeah, it's like it's like that. trying to do Steve Martin. It's like you know. There's a difference between trying to emulate the style of someone and then just flat out doing an imitation of them. Like you cannot, you cannot do a Mitch Hedberg imitation or uh, or a Steve Martin imitate. It's like they just those characters were so strong. Yeah, that it, you, it's just too you know yeah. they're impossible to. It's like I feel like uh, uh, people like Maria Bamford. You just can't. You can't copy them because that's just so much. Their character is so much uh, yeah, of who yeah. they are on stage. God, yeah, damn it. Yeah, so but you cannot steal a joke from Maria Bamford. Yeah, no. you oh. cannot steal it. You, you like, which I always think like that. That means she's a really great comic. Yeah, I was. I remember someone telling me that uh, we're hearing this. I'm sure it's you guys have heard it too. That uh, that uh, Richard Pryor ruined a generation of comedians. Because a whole generation tried to be like him, and they couldn't do it. So it, like all these people who could have been good if they had gone some other way, he ruined them. And I kind of, when someone tells me, oh, I saw this guy at an open mic doing, like, doing an impression of you, basically, for five minutes, I always think, great. That's great. <laughs> good luck with that kid. But I, I'm always flattered. I think it's, I think it's awesome. But, I, I, you know, it's, it's the way that people do the impression if they... If they looked at Richard Pryor and said, okay, they, they think what Richard Pryor is doing is... Uh, you know, uh, is more about the content rather than the delivery system. I think it was the openness of, of Richard Pryor. That's yeah. what makes Richard Pryor. It's like it, what makes Richard Pryor is that he can tell these really honest stories on stage and just sort of be an open book on stage and make it really funny. That's what you want to emulate, not yes. the stories that he told yeah. Yeah. or the language that he used. Like, that's not what you emulate. You emulate the structure of what he was doing, and then you fill it in with your own content, your exactly. own meat. Exactly. Um, I still... Uh, 
it's funny. It, it's funny for me because I feel like I was influenced. Well, because I tried Steve Martin for a long for my first, which was impossible, totally impossible, and uh, then early Dennis Miller before he got kind of weird. Before nine eleven, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like the black and white special. Like, I think the Dennis Miller black oh, and white special best. is one of yeah. the best comedy specials yeah. ever. He yeah. hadn't gotten crazy like preachy yet, and it didn't oh. go. It wasn't like there was a rhythm there, but it hadn't gotten like a become a parody of itself, which it did. I didn't. Really, I found out Dennis Miller for the black and white special. He did. He shot that on thirty five millimeter, paid for it himself, and was just like, no one would do this for me. He just was like, I need to make this amazing, and did it. Did everything himself. Shit, and did that. Uh, it must have cost a fortune. Yeah, especially back the then. Best. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was try, try to emulate that for a little while and then couldn't do it. And then and, and then I feel like I was heavily influenced by people like Dana Gould, where I'm like, oh, my God, you know, you can write eloquently filthy material mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, you know, that is dark and weird, but not necessarily gratuitous, but still, you know. So I feel like it's weird to, to be influenced by someone who's your friends with. Yeah. But I was. I feel like I was. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how many people, besides the BJ Novak thing, and I would love to watch Dan Mintz. Like, Mintz is one of the only guys who I'd be like, oh, I wish I had that joke. Yeah. But I looked more at musicians for how to act on stage, kind of. Like, I thought about, I thought about, like, Jack White a lot. Like Jack White just goes up, he's got like he's got a shitty drummer, and he just walks out there with a guitar and just blows everything off the stage. That if you just had that kind of confidence and that cockiness to you, and you kind of wanted that in a guitar player, you know, you wanted you don't want to like a humble guitar player. Yeah. You want the cockiest guy in the world. That what if you were just that guy and just brought that to stand up, which I don't think a lot of people had. And I was your shitty drummer in Casper Pizza. <laughs> I remember saying that to you once, and you got so mad at me. John and I used to go on stage together a couple times and do this thing called Cops Brought Pizza. It was a way to hang out and drink. And, and we did a bit once, and we were like talking about how awesome it was. And I was like, yeah, you're like my Meg White. And you were just like, dude, that's the worst thing. I've ever yeah, I, was like, I was like, all I was right. Like, that's not cool at all. Yeah, hey, come on, man. For a podcast. You cross the line. <laughs> cross the line. Are you guys, you guys, you did, you did a bunch of shows together on the road, right? Uh, we, we did like, uh, we did Brea and we did, uh, San Jose, San Jose, not a good city, but not a good city for comedy. Those shows were fine. The shows the were most bad. Part. It was just like we'd walk around the neighborhood during the day to try to find something to eat. And it was like every restaurant was closed. Boarded you know, up. It was, yeah. Either boarded Go up away. Yeah. Be open and it wasn't. There was, there was a thing where it's, uh, we were asking the manager, like uh, the shows were done and we're like, Hey, like, where should we like go get a drink after this? And he's like, uh, the guy's like, wherever you go, just don't go right. Yeah. Oh. If you take a right, you're going to get shot. If you take a left, there's a bunch of stuff to do. Like, yeah. Oh, this is the worst. Like, buy guns. Yeah. And then our body armor. Yeah. And then um, don't get shot. But his, like, his shows are really fun. Like, it's a, it's a good audience, except for that one time where it was like 50 octogenarian ladies. What was that? Was it, that was, it was in San Jose. The one I got mad at was, I remember I, we did this show where the whole like first like six rows was uh, bought out by a company that was having their company party and it was they they made missiles oh for the that's military. right yeah and they were such dicks and i like hated them i felt like i was doing a corporate gig with like fans of mine in the back i was like so mad and i walked off stage and i was like i've never been so pissed on stage i like I've, i can't believe i just did that that show for them. i wish i had left 20 minutes in and been like fuck you all 
And Jonah said, uh, you cannot tell the difference between you feeling that way and when you're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was both <laughs> it was the exact, exact same, same character. So do you think yeah. do you think you're do you think you're a dick or do you think you're like, no, this is just a character that I do on stage, or is this a part of who you are? Like is it is it is it a part that you wish you had explored in real life that you're getting out on stage, or is it just a character? I think stage? it's a character. I just think it's funny to be a dick. And like if I'm being a dick, it's to be funny. Yeah. You know, that but I just think it's so funny. But you have to commit to it. Yeah. You know, you have yes. to have the everything's got to be like I couldn't talk about you know I couldn't really tell a story about my life and be real and sincere and have jokes in it and then tell these one liners right. I had to basically be the devil yes and and I was able to, to pull it off somehow. well and that's and, and, and I think that's it's such an interesting mechanism of comedy where an audience what they want you they come in and they pay you to not just be funny but to lead them emotionally somewhere mm-hmm. yeah and if you seem competent then they'll be like, all right, I guess it's okay, you know? So if you, yeah. as long as they know the rules, yeah, they're, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I learned very quickly that you couldn't, like if you tell a joke that doesn't work, you can't be like, oh, that didn't go very well. Yeah. I, I couldn't do that. No. You know, that everything fell apart. Hey, you're so, right! So I had yeah. to go the opposite way and be like, you guys didn't get that joke? That's a great joke. And then go on to the next one. This that was, like, that was I think, the turn. This, this joke is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the turn yeah. I saw, because your jokes were always really good. But it was the kind of the problem that, you know, Mintz ran into, which was just it was just these jokes, these like singular pieces of comedy. And that you kind of just like you don't know how long you are into the set. There's no real flow to us. It's kind of staccato thing. But you started doing that stuff where it was just like uh, like, you know, treating the audience like shit and like tell them they didn't get it. They're not smart enough. Like uh, these are great jokes, you know, and then all of a sudden you had this that kind of connected the jokes, the character, and the set. Like, everything actually kind of connected. just started to weave everything through the character. All the jokes came yeah. from a character as opposed to, I'm just telling you these clever thoughts. Yeah, you know, and the in-between stuff is really what, like, I remember, like, when I saw you do that at the M-Bar, I was like, I was like, oh, it's it's solidified. Yeah, I always hate that comment. People will be like, oh, you know, your jokes are good, but I love the stuff you do in between. Like, when you smile at between <laughs> jokes, I'm like... You know how hard I worked on these fucking jokes. Like, two, line, two line jokes. Two line jokes are rough too yeah. because they're hit or miss. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. no like you cannot. You know, at least if you're telling a longer story, you can distract people with adjectives or like you know or whatever. You can misdirect time. a little bit. Yeah. But if you're you know like those jokes, pretty much live or die by the joke and how you sell it, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, uh, Jack Handy line? My favorite one, I think, would have to be the, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but the um, uh, I'm Afraid of Clowns. I don't know why that is. Oh. Maybe, it, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it comes from the time my dad took me to the, uh, I went to the circus and a clown killed my father. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, holy hell, when I heard that. Yeah, I was just I was totally blown away. There was, a, there was a modern family joke that was like really similar to that. And really? like, I, like, I had to like rewind it. Uh, and like, it was just pretty much... It's like the dad was like Ty Burrell was just like it's like it's like like talking to the camera is like it's like like I'm not afraid of clowns. I mean, it seems like I would because I found one dead in the forest once when I was a kid, but I'm not afraid of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, my favorite Jack Handy one is just it's so dumb. It's the uh, uh, if I'm ever falling off of a building, I'm going to get real stiff like a mannequin because someone might try to catch me because, hey, free mannequin. <laughs> yeah. I like the one that was the. Uh, I, and I don't remember the body of it. It was just the, it was about their uncle, like he had an uncle caveman and he was unshaven a lot. 
And occasionally he'd eat one of us. Yeah. Later we found out he was a bear. Like, <laughs> it's like fucking. That was great. And one of my other favorites was uh, I think it's I think it's a good idea to carry around two sacks all the time. So if someone asks you to help with something, you can say sorry, got these sacks. <laughs> like, but I noticed when I started kind of imitating him that if you just went and read those, that he had maybe twenty percent that would have gotten a laugh on stage. Right. Yeah. The rest of them were funny to read. You know, I'll write a lot of jokes like this looks funny on paper, but if you say it, it doesn't have enough tension. It doesn't have enough of the context yeah. of them were perfect. You're going to commercial, you don't expect it. It's really quick, and then they move on, and then yeah. it doesn't linger. And that's why they were funnier than uh, Fuzzy Memories, which was when he came back to do segments like that, which were very similar, but they were more like reenactment type of things. Yeah. And they just, for some reason, just the reading the text on screen, and where there would be a gap, and then like just to take that beat before you see the last yeah. line was always the best. Yeah. So what? You know, when when people do say, like, how can you talk about X or how could you say that? Like, what is your is do you have another answer besides like, well, it's comedy and don't fucking worry about it. I mean, I took it as I when I started out, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to show I wanted people someone to hire me to write for them. And so I wanted to show people that I could do it. And it seemed to me harder to make a joke about these horrible, you know, like and I literally made a list. I was like abortion, suicide, you know, stillborns like death like the, the hardest things people would like don't want to laugh about you shouldn't joke about that I was like let me find a way to do it so I would literally write like I would write a hundred jokes it took me years to write a joke about suicide or a joke that mentioned the word rape and you have to find these like different angles in a way to make it funny that was the challenge to me was like it was like scaling a mountain to me that I was like if I can do this then I can do anything you know that if oh if you can write dark you can write light and then by the time I got the Fallon job I was like I only want to write dark like I couldn't write anything else <laughs> do you think if seem... do you think if something if if one if something horrible happened really close to you like would you still be able to write about it or would you feel like ah, I can't write about that shit you know anymore? I wondered my, it was my fear in the beginning was that I would like you know like Mark Maron calls it building the clown mm -hmm. you know that if you like build your clown and then like my mom died or mm -hmm. something and then I like nothing would be funny to me and there are certain things that I there's a couple, you know, things that have happened to family members or friends of mine that I that I probably wouldn't that it, that it maybe makes it harder for me to do a joke about, but I definitely see it as a challenge. You know, uh, like a, a friend of mine had a miscarriage, and uh, and I was so upset for her and, and really bummed out. But I, at the same time, I was like, I had thought of three miscarriage jokes on the spot, and none of them were good <laughs> enough. It's got to be that thing, but it, it makes it tougher. But I like that challenge. You know, that's the, one of the things that attracts it to me is is making myself laugh about it. Yeah. Life, so it, it helps you deal with it, like, too. helps you deal with it. Like, life goes on. Yeah. Everyone's going to fucking die. Everyone. Yeah. And things just keep on moving, keep on turning. Well, that's like sort a, of the great comedy of life, right? We do all this stuff and like, and in the end, <laughs> yeah. you end up matter. the same. It doesn't yeah. keep you alive. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Then why not? I think, it's a, I think what I do is a noble thing. I'm not trying to, like, upset people. I'm trying to make other people feel better. Like, I'll get hate mail sometimes about a joke or something. They'll be like, I normally like your act, but this joke about cancer crossed the line for me because of my mom. Yeah. And I'll say, listen, I help people. I make people laugh at the worst things the world has to offer. I just don't help people like you, at least not today. Mm -hmm. You know, but I don't need everyone. I'm not like, I'm not a, a people pleaser. Ah, you know? uh, see, I would totally backpedal. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'll never do that joke again. <laughs> I just don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't have, I just, I... I am, I'm a, I'm an emotional sponge with people, and if I'm near someone and they're feeling something, I just feel it, and I can't help it. And so, you know, then I, and then I really personalize it, and I'm like, oh, you're right, I, that would be horrible, and I, you know, fuck, okay, 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 okay. So I, I just don't have that kind of, um, 
you know, I mean, it's easy for me to say, like, you should laugh at everything or you should laugh at nothing. But at the same time, I do consciously back away from things that I feel like eh, someone's going to get their feelings hurt. I mean, obviously, yeah. I can't control that every time. But within reason, I just that's it's so funny, the comedy that I do now and what I did when I first started, like you said. But why <laughs> let one person affect, you know, the laughter that thousands may get from that joke? It's I, just one person out I, of You know what? It's I like know. one tweet out of all the great, like, you know, like someone says something shitty on Twitter, you focus on that as opposed to like everyone else I'll going, you, you're I'll, the best, you're I'll so I'll tell funny. you why. Yeah. It's the same reason why, you know, like going back to the Dean Martin roasts and they're, and they're making slavery jokes to, yeah. <laughs> to Red Fox. It's just like, well, I don't know. That's maybe not yeah. the best. That reminds know. me of this one time Don Rickles uh, ran into <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Where, he did, he did. He said, his, the, 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 and the joke, the, D, the joke that Dean Martin told about, like, the roast, the Red Fox thing, it didn't even make sense. It just was, the joke was, because um, Red Fox has white hair, that had white hair, and he says, uh, Red Fox is here, his grandfather used to pick cotton, now he's got cotton on his head. And I didn't even understand that. I'm just like, well, I don't. That's just free association. That's not even a joke. <laughs> it's just, it's, 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 it's slavery free association, yeah. which I didn't really and so, yeah, I mean, like, that's, I don't know. I think that's a situation where I would, I, if I knew people were bummed out about that, I wouldn't, you know, yeah. I don't, uh, don't tell those kinds of jokes yeah. anymore. In the beginning. In the beginning. Well, in the beginning, it's like you just, when you're a young comic, if you can't get laughter, it's easier to just get a reaction out of people. Sure. And so you just say horrible things. Let me put it this way. I shouldn't say you, I would say horrible, shocking thing. I wrote a whole story about uh, that I used to read on stage that was like the last chapter of a book that was about, uh, I said, there's a book I'm, I'm working on. This is, um, this is a, an, a family drama. I'm getting away from comedy. And it was a story about a boy like who just turned 18 and he was moving out of his grandmother's house. His parents had died in a car accident and she had taken care of him. He was going off to the army. So this is the last chapter. And, it, and then it turns from this sweet sort of family drama and then goes into this really disgusting romance novel and yeah. he graphically fucks his grandmother. I mean, there's no swearing in it, but it's just like, you know, she removed his turgid member from the flesh which contained the DNA that she gave him. You know, it was just like <laughs> yeah. this very descriptive. <laughs> and um That's <laughs> funny. That's a funny line. No, but but it went on and on and on because I just and every time I would do it, I would add something else, and it got super long. It was like a four-minute story, which is forever on stage when you're you know doing something like that. Yeah. And uh, and I just want to, and people would be like, "Oh, gee, oh," and I, and that's that was the reaction I wanted. Sometimes people yeah. would laugh, but other times people were like, "That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life." I, one thing that's I think important for young comics to learn is that even when people aren't laughing, they're still being entertained. That even people are going like, oh, oh, no, like they're not laughing at it, but they're yeah. still having a hell of a time. And it's a reaction, yeah. which is, you know, if anything, yeah. like, I it's just, better than nothing. But I want a laugh. I don't want just like, yeah. oh, like uh, you, I want you to laugh at what I'm saying. And no, you want both. that comes from the twist. <laughs> I yeah. want, yeah. I want laugh, but I want fun. Like I want people to have fun at shows. Like it's, it's bigger for me. It's different than just I like when they laugh, but I also I want everyone to feel like this is fun. I'm having fun. Yeah. You know, I like 50-50. I like half the crowd, and hopefully that's pretty. They're mixed in, but I want half the crowd to be furious, <laughs> and the other half to be having the time of their lives. Because uh, like it's a good laugh when you see someone stern face and then crack because the joke is so good. You know, sure. or you just see some, and then they go, <laughs> you know. Well, plus, that's as a kid, great. like the things I liked, if someone else didn't like them, it made me like it more. 
Do you know what I mean? It's sure. Like, that just that it was something. It was cool to me that not everyone dug it. That that I I have no problem kind of going for that. Well, that's a con- there's a control thing in that too of of basically <laughs> forcing people to laugh against their will. There's yeah. definitely a, there's definitely a control thing in that. <laughs> yeah. But I always. You know, I don't know. Even even it shows. I'm looking around at faces and checking in and seeing how people are doing, and you know, seeing it's just sort of like dancing near a line that maybe could, you know, if they felt that I was mean, might, but they know that I'm fucking around and that yeah. it's fun, and I'm always I'm always checking around. I always see old people, really old people, and I want to make them laugh. Like I'll do anything to make it to make an old person laugh at a show. It just really, it just something about it is really fun to me, especially <laughs> old ladies. You get like a group of old ladies and they're laughing. Oh, it's the best. But a huge group of old ladies. A huge yeah. group is, is would be the best thing ever, but uh, they but it wasn't. That was one of the bad shows that we had in San Jose. Oh, those were, they were like kind of bitchy. They were that was like bitchy Orange County women, wasn't it? Or was no, it was in San Jose, and it was literally like the show. We're out by the door uh, taking pictures, and thirty white-haired women, just elderly women, walked out of the, the showroom. <laughs> uh, and then I saw that, I was like. Oh, okay. Were they in the red hat? Makes a lot more sense. That was like a seven o'clock Saturday show, wasn't it? Were they wearing uh, purple dresses and red hats? Were they in the red hat club? (laughs) Yes, it was thirty Helens, and they agreed that the show was not there. I was in Austin last year, and uh, and at the end of my set, you know, I love Austin. They're great crowds and everything. Good town. And I, uh, at the end, I'm like, does anyone have any requests, any jokes from like my old album that you guys would like to hear? And somebody yells out, "Blind." And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a joke about blind people. So I, like, I tell it and it gets a laugh. And this part of the audience is kind of like, ooh. And I'm like, what the fuck? So afterwards, I'm standing there, you know, signing autographs. And, uh, and this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm the one who yelled out blind. There were like a bunch of really old blind ladies in front of me. I thought it would be funny. And I was like, oh, shit. And then right behind him are these three super old blind ladies who walk by and they're like, that was very funny. That was very... And then the last one comes up and she's blind as shit. Like, she <laughs> blind as shit. She, like, she looked like some, she had taken shrapnel or something. And she goes, excuse me, can I tell you a joke? And I'm like, yeah, please. And she goes, she goes, uh, how many hands did it take Helen Keller to masturbate with? And I'm like, how many? She goes, two. One for her, one for her vagina, and one to moan with. And I was Classic. Like, oh, like these women loved that joke. Like that was that was one of my favorite yeah. audience interactions. Well, I wonder, That's you great. know, if particularly if someone in that situation is used to people being like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you know, like, do they want to sort of feel like, hey, I'm no, I'm normal, I'm just like everybody else, like yeah. let's let's fucking fuck around with it, you know, like let's yeah. have, don't treat me like I'm, you know. Yeah, don't don't put your kid gloves on for me. Don't treat me like I'm disabled. Yeah, you know? like people who like when I tell a cancer joke, it's never people who complain are never people with cancer. It's always someone who has someone close to them who get and the person's never at the show. Yeah. They knew someone. People with cancer love that shit because they never get to hear it. You know, they never get to hear. They never get to laugh about what's going on in their lives. And you feel like that they it helps them sort of well. It just help like you said. It just helps people in general just deal with horrible horrible shit. Exactly. Exactly. That was always the biggest laugh as like a kid. It's something you shouldn't be laughing at, and you laugh at that. That's that's as big as it gets. I think that's all I care about. When when and how does the show reflect? Like, how do you take what you do and translate it into uh, a, a television show? Um, you know, the show's kind of a, a a bigger reaction to being on Jimmy Fallon, and you know, being on that show and having to pitch things, and they never they hated every single thing I ever pitched. I didn't get a lot of jokes on, and I just kept. Someone would, would just once said, you know, this would be great. This isn't good for the Jimmy Fallon show, but it would be good for the Anthony Jeselnik show. 
And after a year of that, I was like, let's go try to do that. Uh, so a lot of it are like bits that would be kind of late night parody things that are just have a darker twist. I mean, sure. my sensibility is dark. And then I want to be able to do a monologue. I want to be able to talk about stories, but stories that interest me. It's almost like if I had Twitter and I had to talk about current events kind of thing, you know, so it's the, the show's still kind of coming together. You know, we're kind of calling it like a daily show meets Gawker kind of thing. Okay. But just with the darkest stories imaginable. Because that's the, the ones I feel like people like to click on, or I like to click on anyway, is when the guy murders his wife and boils the body for four days to try to get rid of it. Like, that's what I want to joke about. Right. You know? So so we've got, we've got some pretty good stuff lined up, I think. But we, we are going to try to do a segment called Sacred Cow. We try to make fun of something that's like you shouldn't be making fun of. And the first one we've got on pla planned is cancer. Where I'm going to go into like a, you know, a cancer, uh, we have a bunch of like a kind of absurd bits. And then I'm going to go into like a cancer support group and do an act, you know, and do some like, tell some regular jokes and see what the reaction is and then tell cancer specific jokes and see how that goes. You know, and if it, if it, whether it goes well or not, we're still putting it on TV. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, that's interesting. But that could, that's funny because that can become a really brutally like mean bit. But if it, if they laugh, it becomes the sweetest well like, I think segment like it becomes a very heartfelt moment no absolutely yeah yeah well I you know again it's sort of the thing where you know people are going to be defensive at first I think because they'll go well if you don't have cancer then you don't have the right to talk about that yeah. you know but if you make a joke up top I mean I, f I feel totally confident about doing this bit that uh, <laughs> that I, I think it's gonna I, I it'll be interesting that's for sure but I, you know, I feel like I've got my philosophy and I'm sticking to it. Well, I think as long as people, I think people can be on board with something as long as they feel safe in the sense that, you know, it's not like you're a douchebag in a bar who's like, fuck people with cancer. You know, yeah. like, that's not, that's not what you're saying. Mm -hmm. if, if, if people really understand that it's like, this is part of the human experience and, and everything, like, nothing is sacred and we have to be able to... We have to be able to laugh at horrible things so that we can get up every morning. I mean, honestly, if you couldn't laugh at things, there's very little point to life. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just fucking, it, life is just, life can be too hard. Oh, it's nonstop yeah. brutality. Yeah. It's, 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 it can be pretty terrible. And particularly yeah. now with horrible things that are going on, it's like, oh, if you can't laugh at stuff, you, it's, you would just fucking murder, you would just kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's too, like, there's just too much horrible sad nice relief going laughing. on. Yeah, now that religion doesn't work anymore, you need something. You need something else, yeah. You laugh. Like, have you ever read Roddy Dangerfield's autobiography? It's no. And me. Amazing. One of the saddest books you'll ever read. And the last line is, all I can tell you that I've learned in this life is that life is nothing but shit. Like, that's literally the last line of his oh, autobiography. Uh, after this, like, amazing life you have, but just, you know, just couldn't have been more of a downer of a guy. Jeez. That I think that that's... Now that's comedy. Yeah, you know? that's great. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, read that book. It's amazing. I will. Yeah. I absolutely will. I wonder if. Uh, oh, he probably didn't record an audio version of himself. I, when comics write books, I like to listen to the audio version. Yeah, Jonah. I I, I loved Born Standing Up, and he that's was like, the best oh, I listened one, yeah. to Steve Martin say it, and it's so much better that I I've got it. I haven't listened to it yet. It's I'm, great. I'm it's just yeah, it. just it's because it's it's his story, and to hear him like take the beats or like do the asides as yeah. he intended. It's like, a, I think they're both great, you know? Well, uh, so January, did you say 13th? January 13th for the special, mm -hmm. 10 o'clock. They'll be the shit out of it. And then, uh, so when you start seeing commercials for the Golden Globes, remember. Yeah. That. Remember, remember that once, before you get the, before you get the best picture, flip over. What's yeah. the name of the special? Caligula. <laughs> yeah, and the, the cover of it is just this fucking huge great white shark like breaching out of the water. 
Yeah, I was very excited about people. The, you had to fight for that one because they, they wanted, wanted your, face wanted your face on it. Oh yeah, yeah. But I got so sick of my face on my last album that I was like, please let me do anything else. And I was I was psyched. The guy, have you ever watched Shark Week? Yes, of course. Like, I love Shark. And when they do Air Jaws, it's the best. And the guy who does those specials is a photographer. And he, I went on his website to like try to buy a poster. And I saw this picture of this what I used for my album. I was like, I've got to have this. And I was like, I'm prepared to pay like X amount of dollars. I'll, I need to have this in my cover. And we called the guy, and the guy said, you can have it for free as long as you don't say anything bad about sharks on your album and i was like oh i fucking love you oh that's, <laughs> the coolest, the that's fantastic if you lay a finger on these gentle creatures <laughs> i swear to god i and will eat you another thing about sharks you motherfucker <laughs> i told you uh cool man well uh anthony jeselnik on twitter um, <laughs> I'm not saying it for any reason like people should attack, but uh, I, I'm just like people if they want to follow you, they should go to Anthony. Yeah, Anthony sure. Google Jessel. Google Jessel Nick if you get close, they'll help you out. <laughs> it's J E S E L N I K. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Anthony is A R seven. I hear a niner in there. <laughs> I get mad when people when people misspell my name on things, but if they misspell Anthony, I lose. My mind. Lose it. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy your burrito. Sorry, Jonah. What? <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.